It has been a minute, church family, since I have engaged in this posture with you. Um, but before we get into dissecting this passage, which if you have a physical Bible or a digital Bible, no judgment if you're using your phone. Um, but if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13, uh, we are going to be looking at uh, this passage and others um, before we continue onward, and in particular, we're going to tackle the topic of how to listen for and discern the voice of God. Um, but before we begin, I need to begin with a bit of a confession that I have not nailed this topic throughout my life. There have been instances that I thought I heard God's voice clearly, uh, told others about it, and I missed the mark. And because of my error, I have hurt some people in my life because I thought I had heard the voice of God. And I also understand that for some of us in this room, maybe you have been a part of whether it was a church gathering or talking with an individual and they thought they heard God's voice specifically and declared things over your life that didn't come to be. I understand that we come in here potentially with some baggage of some well-intentioned people trying to speak on behalf of God and that that word didn't come to be. Or maybe you also, like me, have experienced a time that you thought God was specifically speaking or leading you into something, and maybe that didn't happen exactly the way that you thought you had heard. And if that's you, join the party. But as we continue forward and as we talk about this topic of hearing the voice of God, I want to make something even more crystal clear. That I've had instances in my life where I have heard God's voice clearly. And that those moments of hearing God's voice clearly and God moving and speaking in a way that I knew in my little frail, like, like temporary body that I knew that the eternal God was speaking to me. And because of that, I think this is a topic that deserves to be talked about. Because it's been in moments in my life where I've been frustrated, I've had seasons of darkness and confusion. And in the midst of those seasons, I've heard a tender whisper from God that brought the peace that passes all understanding. Um, I've opened up my Bible and in what I was considering to be my ordinary devotions, the check off a list, God spoke to me through his word and gave me clarity of direction in my life. And there have been times of intimate prayer that I have felt the presence of God in such a way that words can't describe. So as we begin this conversation about how we can hear the voice of God, I want to make a couple statements and then we're going to look into Luke chapter 24. First of all, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, because the veil was torn, that we now have access to our maker, our creator, our God. That we no longer have to go to a priest or to the pastor or somebody else in order to hear from God because the veil was torn. We all now have access to the throne room of God. So don't think because I have the face, Mike, that there's something special about my access to God. Because of the blood of Jesus, we all now have access to the throne room of God. We all have access to be able to hear the voice of God. Secondly, as we learn this practice or skill, and this is true of life, whether you're learning how to play basketball or an instrument or learning how to public speak, there are going to be times as we seek to hear the word of God, as we seek to hear his voice and discern his voice, that there might be times that we miss the mark like I've talked about in my life. 
But please, church family, as we engage with this practice, let's extend ourselves grace and others grace. Because this is something that we should highly value, to be able to hear from the voice of our Heavenly Father. Because what the Father has for us, as Jesus explains throughout the Gospels, that what God has for us is good, and it is for our good and for His glory. And because of that, we should really lean into being able to discern and hear the voice of God. But give yourself grace and extend others grace as we seek to discern God's voice Please, church family, don't lose heart because the pursuit of hearing God's voice is worth it. Before we get into Luke 24, one quick quote uh, from a guy named Pete Gregg. He's the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement and the author of one of the best books that I've read on hearing the voice of God called How to Hear God. And he said this, learning to hear God's voice is the most or is the single most important thing you will ever learn to do. I'm not exaggerating. Hearing God is not peripheral. It is integral to human history. Neither is it an optional extra for wild-eyed mystics and those who happen to be spiritually inclined. Hearing God is essential to the very purpose for which you and I were made. Without it, everything falls apart. But when we learn to love God's word, to listen and obey, everything aligns. So buckle up, church family. We're going to walk through Luke 24 and some other passages, and I'm going to give us four avenues that God has given us to be able to hear his voice. First, we hear God's voice through a personal encounter with Jesus. If you have your passage open, Luke 14, uh, starting in verse 13, says, Now that same day, two of them, meaning two disciples of Jesus, were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. They didn't have cars. That's a really long walk. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, catch this, Jesus himself came near and began to walk with them. That Jesus didn't expect these two disciples to like show up to temple the next week and that he would then begin to explain everything, but that Jesus met them on the road in their common coming and going. Most likely because as we understand from the context of this passage that these two disciples were in Jerusalem for Passover and that they were actually heading home back to Emmaus to go back to where they came from, go back to their home. And it was in their coming and going. Most likely this road has been a road that they've traveled many a times. Many ordinary conversations, many trips to Jerusalem for this or back to Emmaus for that. But that Jesus himself drew near to them and began to walk with them. And that for us, Jesus desires to meet us in our common comings and goings. Yes, Jesus can meet with us here in the midst of God's people, and he has, he does, and he always will. But Jesus desires to meet with you as you go to your lunch reservation. He wants to meet with you on your trip to and from work. He wants to meet with you in the midst of work, in the midst of your dinner with your family. He wants to meet you in the midst of your sports activity. Jesus is desiring to walk with you in your comings and your goings. Yes, our set aside times of prayer and Bible reading, we'll get to that in a minute, but as we go, that Jesus desires to meet with you. And Jesus 
like the good shepherd that he is, if you notice in the passage, Jesus didn't like kick down the door like the Kool-Aid man and say like, oh yeah, I'm here. Like Jesus didn't do that. He's the risen king. He could have been like, y'all, why are your face downcast? I'm here. As a good shepherd, he just walked alongside them in grace and peace and patience. And he meets them where they're at, not where he was expecting them to be. And so Jesus will walk calmly in stride with you as you're going. And he'll enter himself into the midst of your comings and goings. Jesus' post-resurrection was really good at this. With Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20, Jesus, as he interacts with her, just asks her a simple question. Woman, why are you crying? Doesn't just immediately say that he's Jesus, but it took a couple questions and interactions before he called her name and she recognized his voice. Later in John 21, the fishermen, some of the disciples were out at the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus noticed that they're struggling, and he says, friends, you don't have any fish, do you? Doesn't just bust on the scene and say he's the Messiah. He just asks them a common question. And then later, Jesus has breakfast with Peter, and he asks Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He meets him exactly where he's at, not where he thinks they should be. And oftentimes, and this has been common in my life and possibly with you, that Jesus will often ask me questions in my coming and going and some of the big questions that I have in my life. When Sarah and I were discerning whether we were going to make the move to this foreign land called Danville, Illinois, I was walking in a park with my dog, and I look up at the, the sky and the trees, and it was like a beautiful day, whatever. And I heard a whisper from Jesus say, Jordan, do you trust me? And I had this like Peter moment. I'm like, of course, Jesus, you know I trust you. And he's like, do you trust me? And we had to really learn to trust Jesus. And it's in that moment that I heard that whisper of God. And as Jesus continues to, in my life, to ask me questions, I begin to reshape my eyes off of my circumstances and onto him. So, if we desire to hear anything from God, we must first have an encounter with Jesus. And anything that we talk about here on out, outside of Jesus is meaningless, temporary, and most likely not God. So, as we seek to hear from God, we must come face to face with our Savior. So, we have an encounter with Jesus. That's one way that we can hear the voice of God. The second one is that we can hear God through his word. If you still have your passage with me, let's look in verse 25. We'll skip ahead. This is right after the two disciples explained everything that had happened about Jesus, who they're talking to. So Jesus is very aware of what happened to him. But verse 25 said, he said to them, how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. We have this book that is filled with story after story, that is filled with poetry 
that's filled with apocalyptic literature, this collection of writings have been bound together through the inspiration and the leading of the Holy Spirit for us to be able to hear the voice of God. And take note that in this story, that the disciples who are heading to Emmaus are having conversation about what's concerning this Jesus of Nazareth. We've chosen to follow him, and he died, and his teachings were great. He did all these miraculous things, but like we don't get it. Our Bible said that the Messiah would come and the government would be on his shoulders, that he would be this glorious king that would restore Israel. And he died. And then it's three days later, and they mentioned that some of the women had said that Jesus had like left his tomb, and he didn't know what that meant. And notice that Jesus didn't just like explain the events that happened in his life, but he actually decided to have a seven-mile walk with these gentlemen and opened up the scriptures, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. And so many of us, as we desire to hear from God, as we desire to hear whether it's direction or clarity for maybe a vocational calling, maybe there's a relational situation that we don't know what to do with, but sometimes we like to go to other people for opinions. Sometimes we like to listen to the podcast of that one guru, but sometimes maybe we need to just go to God's word. Maybe we need to go to this gift that we have called the Bible, which is known as the Word of God, to find truth and clarity and to hear the heart of the Father. And if we can do some imagination in this passage, most likely this wasn't a monologue of Jesus just giving lecture to these two disciples. I would like to imagine that as they're reading the scriptures and as they're hearing the scriptures explained by Jesus, I could imagine that there's conversation and dialogue. Like, wait, like you said that this Messiah would look this way, but what about this passage? Jesus most likely would have explained and Jesus would have walked alongside these people and their comings and goings. But yet this word that we have and this word that Jesus apparently like really highly valued because if Jesus needed to explain the Messiah, why did he do it through scripture? Unless if he held a high authority for scripture. And so for the seven mile journey, instead of Jesus just explaining current events or trying to explain philosophy, he opened up the word of God. And the fact that Jesus opened up the word of God, I think, says a few things for us. Number one, Jesus had a deep knowledge of the word, and we know that he deeply valued the word of God and used the word of God as authoritative in his life, which I think that means we should probably do the same. Second, sometimes we can come to the word with our own interpretations, and we want to make this book say what we want it to say instead of opening it up and letting God speak. Because if you still have your scriptures open in verse 27, like it said that he began with Moses and the prophets and he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. That now because of Jesus, we have a new lens to read scripture. 
We don't read it just as a mere academic trying to understand every little word. But as we read this, we actually put on these like Jesus glasses and we look at the word of God through the lens of Jesus. And as we read this passage, we can begin to understand more of the heart of Jesus because we're not looking for our own interpretation to justify our own means, but we're looking to the word of God to understand what the word of God was supposed to be. And then third, as we encounter this word and as we let the lens of Jesus inform what this word actually says, isn't it interesting that the disciples said in verse 32 that there was this burning within their heart while he was explaining scripture? Because as Hebrews chapter four says, the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword that as we engage with this word and as we let God speak and give direction and clarity over things in our lives, that there could be some kind of like physical manifestation that we have, like this burning in our heart that we have as we engage with the word of God. That this book was not meant just to be some religious task to check off to feel better about ourselves, but that God has given us this gift for us to be able to read and to hear his heart, be able to get direction for our lives, for us to be able to understand more of who we are in him. That as we read this book, that we know that everything that is written in this book is for our good and for his glory that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, for training in righteousness, and that the word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. So follower of Jesus, may we not neglect the word of God to hear from God. So we have an encounter with Jesus. We have God's word. The third thing that we're gonna talk about is hearing God through the prophetic. And before we get to our next passage, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. I know we're talking about Jesus and we're going Old Testament. Bear with me. But as we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3, um, I want to just address a few things before we talk about the prophetic. Because I understand that as soon as I mention prophecy or the prophetic, that there's possibly different camps that are in this room. And I know there's not a ton of us but I know that a lot of us have different experiences when it come to, comes to the prophetic. First, some of us that maybe came from a more Pentecostal background or a charismatic background are saying, finally, Jordan, it's about time we talk about prophecy. Let's get in prophecy groups and let's get weird. And if that's you, let's, let's pull the reins back just a little bit. We'll get to releasing the gift of prophecy in a second. Some of us might hear the prophetic and maybe we're pretty reserved because of maybe some past hurt, past trauma, or maybe just with our upbringing, we had God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible, and we kind of let the spirit of God activity go over here. And maybe we say, okay, the prophetic could be for the charismatic mystic folks and we'll just leave that alone. What I would say is if you actually read your Holy Bible, that you would understand that the gift of prophecy is a gift from God for God's people. Some of you might be like, Jordan, why are you making a big deal about the prophetic? I have no idea what this is. And if that's you, awesome. But I know that there are many of us that have many different backgrounds in regards to the prophetic. And before we look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting in verse 1, I want to quickly give some kind of guardrails for what the prophetic is according to the word of God. So prophecy according to scripture, is a word from God 
to somebody for someone else or for a large group. That the prophetic will be God giving you or someone else a word or a picture or a vision for the benefit of somebody else. And that God, even now in 2022, is speaking words of prophecy over people on behalf of others. And so as we seek to hear from the voice of God, we can't ignore the gift and the office and the practicing of prophecy. So 1 Samuel chapter 3, let's just read verse 1 real quick. The boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. At this point throughout the narrative of scripture, God speaking directly to people was very, very rare from the beginning of creation to here. And it seems like God speaks a lot, but if you think about the grandeur of creation and the like millions of people that existed, God at this point was speaking just to a select few people. And so Samuel, the promised son of Hannah, is dedicated to the Lord in service under Eli, who is currently the priest. And one day, Eli was falling asleep, and so was Samuel, and Samuel heard this voice call out his name, and he thought it was Eli. So he goes to Eli, Eli, you called for me, as an old, older man probably would say to a very energetic young man, like, Ugh, it wasn't me, I'm sleeping, go back to bed. Happened two more times. Samuel thinks he hears clearly from Eli, comes back in like, I'm here. It wasn't me. But after a while, Eli understood what was happening. That Samuel was hearing from God. And if you want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 9, Eli gives this advice. Go and lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went, laid down in the place, and God called Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel responded, speak, for your servant is listening. And then in verses 11 through 14, God gives Samuel a word. It's ultimately a word of warning against Eli and his family. Uh, that's for a different sermon for a different day. But God here is calling young boy Samuel, most scholars believe between the ages of 11 to 13, that God was speaking to Samuel this prophetic word for somebody else, in particular for Eli and for his family. And Samuel grew up, which this book is named after Samuel. Don't know if you recognize that first Samuel. He's Samuel. Free Bible knowledge for you but that Samuel eventually grew in this gift. And in verse 20 of 1 Samuel 3, it says that all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet to the Lord. That Samuel was growing in this gift of prophecy that he would hear from God and would be able to speak to others on behalf of God. And that this is a gift from God. And you might be thinking, like, why doesn't God just speak directly to people? He does. But God also, to reveal more of his character, is using people, humans, to speak to others on behalf of God. That God can use 
fallen, broken humans to be able to speak a divine word to somebody else so that they can hear God and respond in hopefully loving faithfulness. And at this point, you might be thinking that that's great. Like Samuel, prophet of the Lord, that's really cool. New Testament, you might even flex some New Testament scholar muscles and say, yeah, prophecy is a gift. It's an office. That's awesome. There are some people that have the gift of prophecy. I'm just going to sit here with my ESV and my pen, and I'm going to just write out some great notes and all of that stuff. But what does hearing God's voice through the prophetic have to do with me? And might I just say it has everything to do with hearing the voice of God. Because as we said in 1 Samuel 3, 1, that, that the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. But if you read throughout your Old Testament, you'll get to a place in Joel chapter 2, which Peter quickly pointed, Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit fell, that Peter quickly went back to Joel chapter 2 to explain what was happening. And in Joel chapter 2, it says that I will pour out my Spirit on all people, then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That in the Old Testament, there's a promise of the Spirit of God coming and manifesting within God's people, and that one of the results of what would happen when Holy Spirit would fall on all people would be that your sons and daughters would prophesy. That this was no longer going to be a singular office thing where if you hold the office of prophet, you're the only one that can speak on behalf of God. But that now through Holy Spirit, we have access to Holy Spirit who empowers us to be able to speak a prophetic word. And that your young men would see visions and your old men would dream, dream dreams. And then Paul later to the church in Corinth said to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts and especially that you may prophesy. That we can engage in the prophetic in a God-honoring way for others to hear the voice of God. That God might give you a picture or a word for someone in our midst and that God might be speaking to you on their behalf for such a time as this for their benefit and for ultimately God's glory. And as we engage with the prophetic, real quick, because um, we have a little more to go, I just want to give three guardrails as we seek to engage with the prophetic. Um, because as I mentioned in the beginning, that some of us might have heard a prophetic word that maybe didn't come to pass, or maybe we've been burned before by past prophecies, or maybe you thought that you heard a prophetic word and it didn't come to be, or someone else declares that this was the word of the Lord and it was more harmful than, than helpful. As we seek to do prophecy the way that God intended in his word, I just want to ask us three questions. Is the prophetic word that you received, is it affirming? Meaning that when God decides to speak a prophetic word to someone, is it affirming to the character of God? And is it affirming their being an image bearer? Because if you think that God is speaking a word over you to call somebody a particular name or to degrade them, that's not from God. And even if you like believe that you received an encouraging word for someone in our midst, and let's just say it wasn't from God, you're still encouraging people. And I'm pretty sure God can use your encouragement. So at the very least, 
if it is encouraging, I would say boldly speak encouragement over your brother or sister in Christ and see what God can do. So is it affirming? The second thing, is that prophetic word biblical? Because we have this inspired word of God, if you believe you have heard a prophetic word for someone to evade in their taxes, that's not God. That's also just not good advice, period. But if God is going to speak to you to speak on behalf of God, God will make sure that his word is in alignment with this. There have been so many instances that I have heard, and we don't have time this morning, but of people that spoke on behalf of God with something that was so far outside of Scripture, and they were so convinced, and it was so hurtful. And it caused more harm and disunity than it brought God glory. So is it affirming? Is it biblical? The last one, is it Christ-like? Is the word that you received a word that... Jesus himself would speak. Whether it's a word of encouragement, of affirmation, would it be something that Jesus would say? And that church family, God uses a prophetic here and now that you might receive a word or a picture for someone in our midst. And I want to encourage you, even if you're nervous about it, like take some time to pray. Ask God to guide you and lead you as you seek to maybe hopefully encourage or affirm someone in our midst. But may we be bold and gracious as we seek to engage with this gift, with this church family. Because I know I've been on the receiving end of some words that have been deeply encouraging and life-changing for me. And I hope that this would be a place where we could do the same for others. And I know there's a lot about the gift of prophecy and about the prophetic. And if you have more questions and answers, if you're frustrated with what I said, or if you want to lean in and engage more, talk with me. I would love to grab coffee with you and talk about the prophetic at MADGO. It would just make my heart so happy. So the last story, and we'll go here real quick. If you have a Bible with you, last place we'll land is 1 Kings chapter 19. So we hear God through an encounter with Jesus, through the word of God, through the prophetic, and the last thing is that we hear God through a gentle whisper. Like we've talked about the character of Jesus, that God is not going to just kick down the doors of your life and decide to yell a blaring word to you. That God will often come in a gentle whisper. And in this story in 1 Kings chapter 19, just to give a brief summary, there's a guy by the name of Elijah who is also known as a prophet who hears clearly from God and he had an entire life that was dedicated to being in the presence of God, to prayer, declaring bold prophetic things over groups of people. Uh, he, he prophesied that there would be a drought in the land and it came to be. And then there's this, what would seem to be a super awesome story where Elijah goes to bat against the prophets of Baal and they have this duke it out battle of, over which God is God. And then fire falls down on Elijah's sacrifice and not the prophets of Baal. And then Elijah decides to like kill a bunch of the prophets of Baal. Not a great call on his part, but nonetheless, Elijah has an intimate relationship with God. That he has heard clearly from God and God has moved in power through his life. 
And then in the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 19, Jezebel wasn't too thrilled with Elijah's actions and said, all right, I'm coming for you, Elijah. I'm going to find you, and I'm not going to do pleasurable things to you. And so Elijah hears that and runs away, runs for his life, and he sits under this broom tree, and he prayed, in verse 4, it says, he prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And then he took a nap. God provided him some food. And then we are going to pick up in verse 9. Elijah entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there is an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there is a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there is a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. God speaks through the small, gentle whisper. When often we desire to hear from God, we think God's going to drop the neon sign that's going to give us all the clarity in the world, and we're going to know that we know that we know, but often God will speak in that still, small whisper, which also means church family, we have to create space to be able to hear that gentle, small whisper. We can't expect to be in the midst of our comings and goings and just scream at God and yell at God and in all of our prayers just do all the talking and in our lives just create such a ruthlessly hurried life that we don't have any time to sit and pause and hear from God. Because God is a good shepherd. He's not going to wreck your life so he can speak a word. He's gracious and patient with you. And so we need to be the ones to create space for our Heavenly Father to speak. And what a gift that is. As we wrap up, what a gift that is that we serve and know and believe and have experienced a God who created the cosmos, who is holding the entire galaxies by his finger, by his breath. The God that is so big that we can't comprehend like Jordan read in Psalm 145. I think it's Psalm 145, right? Psalm 7? 147. Nailed it. Third time's a charm. But the God that is so big, but also so personal. The God that knows every hair on your head or lack thereof for some of us. The God that knows your comings and your goings. The God that, like the song we're going to end with, the God that has seen all the things that you have seen and knows all the things that you know. That God desires to meet with you and more than that, to speak to you. No other religious system believes that God will intimately speak with his fallen creation. Only our God. And he does so because he loves us. He does so because he cares about us and he wants what's best for us. 
and that he is a God who eagerly is desiring to speak to you.